Praise God. Isn't he good? Yes, he is. Amen. Well, uh, last week I told you how I talked to the man who comes and sprays our building named TJ, and he and his family came on Sunday. They're probably watching right now, but they got blessed by last Wednesday's message, and they promised me they'd be here, and they came Sunday, and they're excited about what God is doing in their lives. And so he promised me, he sent me a message, said, I can't get there by tonight, but I will be there Sunday. And so that's exciting. And God wants to use his life. He's a musician, and God wants to use his talent. But also, there's another family that came, and the man's name was Chris, and I understood he signed up for ministry classes. So isn't that awesome? God is moving in people's lives. And we did get to see Brother Sherman, and he is just as happy as go lucky as could be. He is in his wheelchair. He wasn't even in bed. He had been to therapy. And uh, he told us that he had 29 broken bones in that accident. And yet he's uh, one of the most positive people you'll ever meet. And they're trying to figure out what they have to do when he comes home. You know, they got a rearrange of furniture and a few other things. But uh, he is, he's just doing well, as you can, for having what happened to him. But uh, he just was tickled, other than he said he's having to drink a lot of insures because his jaw was broken and he can't have his teeth in his mouth, and so he can't eat solid food. But uh, he said he was down to 96 pounds. He was 124 when he, when he was in the accident. And, uh, you know, I tell you what, I wish I could give him about 20 pounds. <laughs> I got a little extra I could give him. But uh, I don't think he wants what I would give him because it would be the fat, you know. <laughs> but anyway, he is doing better, and I think he might have to go to St. Louis tomorrow to see the doctor. They would have to take him from Jonesboro in an ambulance to see his doctor up there that performed the surgeries. And uh, so, but he's in a good place. It's a wonderful care center, rehabilitation center. All the workers just seem to be fabulous. It's one of the cleanest facilities I've ever seen for a hospital or rehabilitation center. So we're happy that he is there getting good care and recovering. But it's wonderful. And, uh, we're just excited about what God is doing now and what he's going to be doing in the future. And I tell you what, we know, I, I was telling Brother Kevin back here that one of my good friends from college days, he, he retired from being the head of the union for the, it used to be called Grand Trunk Western Railroad up in Detroit, Michigan. I don't know what they changed the name to, but Anyway, he was the head of the union for the engineers and all, the railroad workers. And he has just gotten fired up for Jesus. He's 70 years old, and he is going down to the malls and things. And, and as he walks along, he introduces himself, gets to know him. And then when the Holy Spirit prompts him, he asks if they want a salvation track and a little booklet of devotions from his church. And he said, almost every one of them are positive and thank him so much. And some of them are Muslims. And so 
he gives it to him, and then he gets his picture taken with him, and he texts me his picture with these people that he's witnessing to. And so it's just a, an, a really a neat thing to see uh, and see how God is using him in his retirement days. And he can use you the same. You know what it takes? It takes the love of God touching our lives and it help us to love others. You know, it's work to love some people, I'm going to tell you right now, because some are knuckleheads, if I can put it that way, and the old, good old boy's vernacular. <laughs> but, you know, you're just not as excited to love them, but you have to, because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth upon him would not perish but have everlasting life. And so it's important that we have the same attitude and same mind of Christ. Amen? We, we need to have the mind of Christ. And his mind was share the truth and love, and hopefully they will believe. And what I want to talk about is love. This is going to be our next topic. And so that you begin to get insights on love like I've been getting. But this series is going to call, be called Love Will Make a Way. Love Will Make a Way. Some of you have people that you love or you care for, and yet they don't love Jesus. They haven't learned to accept him. And most of the time, it's not that they wouldn't love Jesus. I mean, who wouldn't want to love somebody that gave their life for you and forgave your sins and make a way for you to go to heaven one day? Sometimes, yeah, that's a story some people say is too, it's too good to be true. But it is the truth. God sent his son. We sang about it tonight. And they call him Jesus. You know, And he is the one who died for us so that we can have life and life more abundantly, everlasting. But uh, we're going to start out, uh, and I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll tell you a little story first. Y'all like stories, don't you? Well, when I lived in Florida, sometimes Peck and Ella Bowles would come down to visit Hank and Millie and John Henry, uh, who were part of our church down there, who I grew up with here. And so when they'd come, Hank would always want to do something for his father. And his dad liked to fish. And so Hank calls me one afternoon early, and he said, Hey, Dad and I are up here at Lake Okeechobee. And we're going to rent a room tonight, and we're going to go fishing tomorrow. And Hank had a pontoon boat. And so I was busy with the church stuff and everything. I said, well, I'll tell you what. I'll check with Lucien if I can get away. I'll drive up there, spend the night, and then I'll go fishing with you. Well, I drove up there, and I got there about dark. And they had a room. They had two beds. I wasn't sleeping with either one of those guys, you know. And so I had an air mattress I brought with me, and I blew it up, put my air mattress on the floor, my pillow, got my blanket, and I was laying there thinking about going to sleep, and all of a sudden I heard somebody, it sounded like they were, they'd started a chainsaw, and they began to cut some wood. And I looked over, and Peck was snoring like you would not believe. And then there was an answer on the other side of the room, and it was Hank. And I mean, they were sawing logs back and forth, 
and it was so loud, it rattled the glass and the windows. And it was so bad that I just couldn't help myself. I started laughing. I had the spirit of laughter come on me, and I began to laugh out loud. I thought, my goodness, Jesus, hallelujah, Holy Spirit, how can these two guys snore that loud? I don't think it's humanly possible for somebody to ever snore that loud. But they did, and finally, I don't know when it was, maybe four in the morning, I finally drifted off to sleep. And at about 5.30, the alarm goes off. Hank swings his legs out of bed, sits up on the side of the bed, grabs his hat, puts it on, and says, Let's go fishing! And so I thought, My goodness, Lord, how can anybody be that, you know, that optimistic about it? You know, I did not get any sleep. So... We get up, and we go over to the bait-and-tackle place, and they had breakfast sandwiches, so we bought a couple. And then we got Hank's pontoon boat and put it out in the water. And I have to admit, I wasn't the most positive guy at that moment, but I ate my sandwich, and I got in my seat, and he motorized us out to the lake there, out a little ways. And finally, we got our poles together and our bait, and we threw our lines in the water. And I thought man, I'm sleepy. And so I thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to hold my pole right here in front of me, and I'm going to wrap the string around my finger a couple of times, like this, you know, to where the string was hanging on my finger. And all of a sudden, I woke up to this feeling of... <laughs> like that. And the fish was pulling the line with my finger wrapped around it. And I snapped out of it, and Peck says, hey, bub, that's what he would call me. He'd say, hey, bub, I think you got something on your line. And so I started reeling it in, and I had a crappie that weighed about two or three pounds. It was a big old crappie. And you know what? That was the biggest fish we caught all day. And I caught it asleep. So I want you to know, you know, uh, it's all right. God wants us to swing our legs off the side of the bed in the morning, put our hats on, and say, let's go fishing. And know that there are people out there that need to be caught in the love of God. They need for us to have the same mindset as Hank Bowles had in going fishing. I'll have to tell him to watch this video for sure, tune in to it. But in 2 Timothy 1 and 7, this is a verse that we often hear, and I've preached it before, but it says desiring, Second Timothy, I'm sorry. Zach must have put the wrong one in. Anyway, we know what Second Timothy says. I think Philip's going to get it before I can even read it, probably. It is already up there. Okay, you are fast as lightning, buddy. It says, for the Spirit of God gave us That's not the way. It, oh, that's not, my, that's not my version. That's the version Zach preaches out of. Anyway, I'll read it out of mine. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. You know, fear is a problem in this world today. 
My friend John Karkian, he's a big Armenian. He's six foot four, about 235, and he has this long nose. You know, he looks like a Roman gladiator, you know, just this big old guy. He could hit a softball a long way, but he has no fear. But something happened with him and his dog, Buddy. And he loved his dog, Buddy. And something happened. I don't know if he went to the vet or whatever. But anyway, it was a Labrador, and he, it really touched his heart that he loved that dog that much, and he died. And so I'll have to get the full story, but that really turned him around. He was always going to church, but he wasn't on fire like that until something happened with his dog. And then he realized how short this life is, and that everybody needs to be ready for when Jesus comes back. And so uh, it's made him love people. When he sends me these messages and sends me the pictures, he'll say, this, this man is a Muslim. And after he says, I ask him if he would like to have a salvation track and a devotional booklet. And he said yes, and he had a great big smile on his face. He'll send me the picture. And then he says, please pray with me that whatever Abdul or whatever their name is, will open his heart to the love of Jesus and that he will come to know Jesus and accept him as his Savior. And it's just tremendous to see this outpouring of love from Johnny Carkean's heart. And so we see God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind. You have a sound mind in Christ. And it's not that hard to share the gospel, the good news with people. You don't have to share religion. You don't have to share all your beliefs. Share with them about Christ, Jesus, the man God who came to earth and was nailed to that cross because he wanted to be your substitute. Anyway, it was tremendous to see. Let's go to 1 John chapter 4. Verse 17 and 18. And let's see if Philip's going to have me in the New King James. There we go. Good job. Love has been perfected among us in this way, or us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. So get a hold of that one right there. See, if you have fear, then you haven't really accepted the love of God in the middle of that circumstance. God loves you so much. He wants you not to operate in fear, but in the love of God. Know that God loves you and that if somebody rejects you, who are they really rejecting? They're rejecting Him. And guess what? You don't have to pass judgment on them. You just let it go and let God take that seed and place it in their heart and allow it to grow into something, you know. 
It was so great. I saw uh, Sister Tara's uh, grandson's wife. She was here with two, her two kids on Sunday. I forgot to mention her when I was talking about the visitors. But uh, she came. She is one of the ones that takes care of Brother Rick at the nursing home. And when Dave and I went over there to visit Rick, uh, we saw her, and Dave introduced her to me and who she was. And, and she said she was going to come to church, and here she was on Sunday at church. I know she has to work sometimes, but it's so wonderful to see the love of God drawing people. It really is. You know, uh, let me give you a statement here. Fellowship produces a call to love others. See, the more we get together, the more it makes us want to love other people. When somebody shares with me something, you know, that somebody they've talked to, or Sister Sheila's got a, an arm long list of stories about people. She's been a caregiver so many years and, and helped people. But, you know, it's wonderful to hear those stories about how people need love. They need to hear about God. They need to know somebody cares. There's a lady, she wasn't here Sunday. She's been coming with you. We got to get back after her, get her back in here. You know, we don't want them to drift away. We want to include them because when you're in fellowship, you know you're part of a family, right, Nelson? Nelson calls me about every three days, and we chit-chat, and we pray. He doesn't talk long. He, he's not a bother. You know, he, he just chit-chats a little bit and tells me about praying for somebody, and he wanted me to pray for this gal, and she was, she was right there. He was talking to her. She didn't want to talk to me. She was scared. See, that fear. But you know what? When God's love permeates enough, she won't be afraid. And he's going to bring her to church. She needs a touch from heaven. She's got a sickness. She needs to be touched. And uh, we just pray, Lord, that you reach out to Dylan and Cassie, who Nelson would bring. Somehow they took off and went to New Jersey or somewhere. And if they're not supposed to be there, Lord, bring them back. But if they are supposed to be there, put them in a good church and let them be with family or something to get them going in the right direction. But I want to share some keys with you tonight. And number one is this. we got to step out and do something. Everybody say something. Everybody's got to do something because that provides you the momentum. See, you may not know totally how far you're going or if you're going to vary to the left or to the right. But if you will step out, something will happen. Let's read this scripture that goes along with it. After these things, this is John 21, by the way, verses 1 through 3. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And in this way, he showed himself. Which, by the way, that's the Sea of Galilee. Tiberias is a city on the Sea of Galilee, which when we would go to Israel, we would go to Tiberias. We'd usually stay there in a hotel. And I would go down to this poster gallery that was run by a guy who was a Noahite. He was a guy with a big old long beard. And that, that was humorous to me because he said, they 
practice and live their life according to the ways of Noah. That was before Abraham. You know, but he, he was a nice guy. So I went in there looking at these posters. If you go in my office, you will see some beautiful posters that are framed. And some, my wife had one done where it was brush stroked with some kind of liquid, you know, and it looks like a painting. And Hank had another one done that way for my birthday one year. But they're just posters, but they look like they're worth a lot of money. But they're really neat posters. And I was in there trying to buy some, and, and all of a sudden, all these people started coming in. And I started chit-chatting with them. And they said, well, I need this. I said, well, I saw one of those right over here. And I started showing all these people where the posters were. And the guy was watching me. And after a few of them bought some stuff and left, he said, you know what? You're quite a salesman. You are really helping me. I said, well, that's great. And I got to know him, and he gave me a brochure. They had these kids' camps. Of course, you know, it wasn't based on Jesus, but it was based on helping others. Well, I said, I can tell you got God's love operating in you. And so I shared with him. But, you know, there they were at the Sea of Galilee, also called Tiberias. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin. He was a doubter, if you remember. Jesus showed him his side and his hands and all where he had had the nails. And Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing, just like Hank Bowes. Let's go fishing. They said to him, we are going with you also. They went out and immediately got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. Can you believe it? They didn't catch anything. Well, you see, but what was the point? Do something. Peter didn't know what to do. They were just kind of lost. Jesus, you know, come in and appear, and then he'd disappear. And so what were they supposed to do? They'd spent three and a half years with him, seeing miracles and feeding the thousands and all this, and now they were back in their home area, Sea of Galilee. They, some of them were fishermen. So Peter said, hey, let's go fishing. I'm going fishing. And they said, we're going with you. So, But they fished all night. Now, if you go there on a tour, you'll go on what they call the Jesus boats. Those were wooden boats, pretty long, pretty good size. You know, a tour of 30 people could get on there easy enough. And the guide or the fishing captain would show you how to throw out the net, how they would try to catch fish. And they'd draw it in, you know. And so that's how they fished. And Jesus, being a carpenter, many scholars speculate that he was not building homes like we have here. That most of those were made out of stucco and whatnot. But, uh, you know, they, they didn't probably build them like two-by-fours and all that. So the carpentry that they say he probably did was building boats, working on ships. And so there's the Jesus boats. And so Peter said, let's go fishing. They went out in their family boat, and they fished all night. They didn't even get one fish. And so the second thing is this. Jesus shows up <coughs> where people are hungry. Think about that. Some people are hungry for food, and they don't even realize 
that they might just get more than food if they talk to the right people. But Jesus will show up when people are hungry. And so in John 21, 4 and 5, But when the morning had now come, <coughs> Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. See, that he, he was far off. And he probably had the thing you know, over his head and whatnot. Then Jesus said to them, Children, have you any food? Well, when you worked all night, you work up an appetite. And they said, No! Is that it? Okay. Then we see he showed up. They don't have any food. They said they didn't. Guess what he's got on the grill? Let's look at point three. Jesus challenges real faith to not quit. If you've got real faith, he'd, he'll challenge you not to give up. How many people do we know that give up right before they get their answer or right before they get their blessing? And you might just be the blessing, you know. So you have to be prepared to be a part of the equation. you got to be one that loves others. So you got to allow him to use you oftentimes. And so what do we see? And he said to them, <coughs> cast the net on the right side. I think that's kind of a double whammy, don't you think? He didn't say cast it on the wrong side. And he didn't say cast it on the left side. He said, cast your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, that's John, the young disciple, you know, the one that sat next to him at the Last Supper. Anyway, he said to Peter, it's the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that, it was the Lord. Then he put on his outer garment, for he had removed it. He was shirtless, in other words. And he plunged, he dove into the sea. He wasn't waiting. He was going to press in. And so, you see, Jesus challenges our faith. And so they did. They cast a net. They knew it had, when John said, it's the Lord, they knew who helped him get all those fish. That's how it is with Jesus. You could be fruitless for hours, and then he gives you one little key, and you become very successful in what you're doing. And so we see the next point. The evidence of Jesus brings awesome results. They were hungry, and there he was cooking fish on some coals. And he says, have you got any food? They said, no. He, he said, basically, hey, you, you didn't catch anything? Okay, cast your net on the right side. Get with it. And John recognized him. <coughs> that had to be the Lord. So he recognized who it was. And so what did he tell them? Did anybody write it down? He challenges us not to quit. <coughs> and then the evidence of Jesus brings awesome results. You'll get some results that you never dreamed you could get on your own. 
Excuse me. <coughs> but the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from land, but about 200 cubits, dragging the net with fish. Then as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid on it, and bread. Man, they had breakfast ready to go. So then we see. We've got this evidence coming to pass, see. And then in verse 8 to 11, Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish which you have just caught. Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to land full of large fish, 153. I've wondered what, what was the significance of 153. You ever thought about that? I tell you what, I'm going to have to research that and see why it was 153. Why wasn't it 150? You know, I don't know. There's got to be something to it. And although there were so many, the net was not broken. Now that was amazing, that none of the net was broken. Simon Peter, he brought all that in, see. And, of course, he was so excited to see Christ, see his Lord. And so we see the next point is this. Jesus always invites us to come and eat. Isn't that amazing? You see, a lot of people in this world, they'll go to a bar room to hang out. Why? Because they're looking for somebody to talk to. They're looking for somebody to share their problems with. The main problem, though, is that most of them have the same problems. And they're not looking in the right spirit. They're looking in the wrong spirits. Why do you think they call liquor spirits? Because it's not the correct way to find out how to solve your problems. But what do people need? Although I like the concept, I used to turn on TV sometimes. And I, I like comedies. So sometimes it would flip over to Cheers. I used to watch MASH and some of those older comedies and then Cheers. And there'd be this heavy set guy. He's a salesman and he looked disheveled. His tie was loose. He'd storm in and go across the bar room and go sit at the end of the bar. One guy's name was Cliff. And then, I forget what they called the bartender, uh, but Ted Danson. Sam? Sam Malone, okay. Well, anyway, everybody knew this guy. And you know what? They'd all say when he walked through the door, Norm! And that makes me think about Norm Spencer. And so when I hear he calls me on the phone, I'll say, Norm! I do that every time. And he likes it when I do that. But they would say Norm. Why? Because they all knew him. That was his bar. That was where he went. That was his friends that he hung out with. We need to have an openness in our lives and in our churches to where when somebody comes in, I try to call people's names because it's great to see them. Nelson. Only I say Nelson David Lloyd. And I got used to that because when he'd see me at Walmart, he'd say, Hey, Pastor Kevin McAnulty. 
but it's great to hear your name, isn't it? Caleb, and what does he do? He gives you five when he comes in. Everybody knows who Caleb is. Everybody knows your name, Caleb. You hang out with Joshua, who fought the Battle of Jericho. But anyway, I see people. I call their name. Why? Because they're important. They're important to God and important to me. You know, when we see them. Say, Randy Dandy, how's it going? Yeah. And Kevin spells his name with an O-N on the end. Mine's I-N. So I say, Kevon. You know, like he's French. He's our French Kevin. Yeah. But anyway, everybody, you know, when Norm would come in to cheers, they'd all say, Norm! Y'all want to say that with me together just for the fun of it? Are you ready? Norm! That's how it felt for him to come in. He was at home. People cared about him. And Jesus cares for you. And so Peter was so excited. Jesus invited them to come to breakfast. Have you ever noticed we don't go out drinking together? We don't go out drugging together. We don't go partying together. But what do Christians do a lot of? We eat together. We love to get together and go eat. Pastor Ken and Dave and I, we stopped at Chili's. Dave kept going on and on about that hamburger. That cheeseburger was so big, he could barely hold on to that thing. I watched him, he said, man, this is so good. <laughs> and he had to take the bread off after a time, part of it because it was so big he couldn't get it all in his mouth. Yeah, but And I had a chicken sandwich that was kind of like that too. But and Pastor Ken ate quesadillas, you know. And uh, I usually get chicken, you know, the chicken deal with corn, the cob, and french fries when I go to Chili's. But I don't know, I did something different this time. But it's great to fellowship. And Jesus loved fellowshipping with his disciples. And so what do we see here? Jesus said to them, come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus then came and took the bread and gave it to them, and likewise the fish. Seemed like he had done that before, didn't it? He broke the bread and the fishes and, and fed the 4,000 men one time, 5,000 another time. But now this is the third time Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. That's so neat. You know, Jesus did a lot of talking to the disciples over food. And we do the same thing. When the men go to men's breakfast, we get to talking about stuff. And I tell you what, when Brother Sherman was able to go, he could talk a blue streak, let me tell you. He really could. Now, what's the next point? If you truly love Jesus, then... Feed others. He set a precedent. He invited people to breakfast. We should invite people. I like to invite people out to eat and have fellowship with them. You know, and when we go, sometimes we go to the same place. Dave, some of the men, if you want to ever join us. Uh, I don't know, the ladies, that would be different without my wife being there. But uh, Dave and Randy like to join me on Fridays 
and we go to Parker's. And what do they have? They have catfish. And they have fried chicken. Any good preacher worth his salt loves fried chicken. And that's some of the best fried chicken in town, isn't it, Randy? I tell you what, I have to go back for seconds on fried chicken. The other stuff, I don't. I don't go back for seconds. But on chicken, yes, I must confess. I go back for that fried chicken. I asked the guy, because see, they took over from Johnny's. And I got to know the owner and his father. His father's the manager. And he worked at Baldwin Ford and still does sometimes. And it's just really cool. We get to talking about the Lord, about church, about what he's been up to. And he always loves seeing us there. And even the waitresses know us. We'll walk in the door and she'll say, two waters and a tea? She already knows what we're drinking. Randy's drinking tea and me and Dave are drinking agua. Yeah, some fresh agua. But if you truly love Jesus, you've got to feed others. And so we see here in 21, 15 through 17, so when they had eaten breakfast, they were probably full, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? You know? And that's a double-edged question as well. Do you love me more than these? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. Then he said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Tend my sheep. Then he said to him the third time, You ever thought about why it was three times? Well, you remember before the, he went to the cross, he told Peter, he said, you're going to deny me three times. He said, oh, Lord, I'll never do that. And yes, he did. While he was waiting outside, while Jesus was in the trial, he, he was denying to those people around the campfire that he knew them because he was scared. Fear. God has not given us a spirit of fear but of love and power and a sound mind. But at that time, he was more fearful than he was confident. And so he says, the third time, Simon, son of Jonah. And if you notice, he didn't call him Peter then. He was talking to the flesh man. Peter was the name Jesus gave him. Peter, little rock. That's what it meant, Petra, little rock. Petro, whatever. Petro's oil, though. We don't want to confuse you too much here. But Peter, that was his name, you know, the rock. And so, but he didn't call him the rock. He called him Simon, son of Jonah. He was talking to the flesh man, the man that denied him three times. And so he said, do you love me? Peter was grieved. He's like, Lord, why do you keep asking me this? Because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. And so you see, the Lord wants us to feed the sheep. He wants us to take interest in other people. You know, 
I usually eat on Sunday with my kids and the, their kids. It's quite a crew. That's why we don't often invite a lot of people with us because you can hardly even sit down with my own family. You go there and you got 14, 13 people to sit down in a restaurant. But, you know, I want to be mindful to not act like a stuck-up pastor, you know, that I get out and I eat with the sheep, that we get together. That's why I like it when we have dinners. And we should be having one coming up on Labor Day weekend. You know, that's a, just a little tick there. We ought to be having a church dinner on that weekend. And uh, some goodies. But anyway, we want to be mindful of touching other people. I think that's one thing that makes God's powerhouse a unique ministry. Well, they do. As soon as church is over... I saw Caleb running out because I think he went to help die, didn't you, Sister Diane? Because Virginia, being in that accident, doesn't have a lot of energy. And I think he goes out to help her set up tables or whatever. And I think you ride with her, don't you? And then I think Anna's even cooked some stuff and maybe some others are kicking in now. But Sister Virginia used to do all that cooking. And Brother... Sherman would be the one to set up the table or two because they had it in their home. But now they got a building over there where they hold the God's powerhouse meeting. And one day I want to go over there with them and dedicate that, that building, and the ministry there that they do. They have a lot of people. Some come that are families and they enjoy the fellowship. But others come that are either single or they've been through a divorce, or they've been through tragedies of some kind, and it's a restoration ministry. That's why we get along so well, because that's the kind of ministry that I believe we have, is to restore people to their purpose and to God's intended condition that he wants them to be a part of. And so we must feed and tend to the sheep. Love reveals and it also compels. Love reveals a person's heart, but it also compels people. People are drawn to love. When you show care and concern to others, they're drawn to talk to you. I was in a store today somewhere, and some gal walked by, and, oh, I was in Home Depot getting some keys made. And I was talking to the lady, and her son was there. And, and then this gal walks by, one of the workers, she says, hey, i got to be honest with you, I didn't recognize her. I, she was a young woman, so she was probably a teenager that recognized me, but I wasn't sure who she was now that she's grown up and working. She said, how you doing? I said, well, not bad for an old man. And she turned and she put her hand on her hip. She says, you don't look old. And I was like, wow, she just made my day, made me feel good. But love reveals and compels. Let's look at two scriptures in conclusion here tonight and one is 1 Corinthians 13.8 love never fails it always succeeds but whether there are prophecies they will fail sometimes your prophetic words you get don't always happen why is that? is it that God lies? no 
it's conditioned a lot of times on our own actions and our own faith. Some people quit believing, they give up too soon, and then they throw in the towel and they wonder, why on earth didn't my prophecy happen? Well, you got to wait. Some prophecies take time to unfold. They will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. But love, see, never fails. It's an awesome thing, love. Zach was talking about the fruits. Remember he said, the fruit is, the fruit of the Spirit is. And I always had the thought, and I think maybe Pastor Ken did, how it comes out, love is the first word. And I thought, really, it's love, and then all these other ones were byproducts of love. That it wasn't all fruits, that the fruit was love, and these are the evidences of it. You know. So then we see in 2 Corinthians 5, 14, 15, for the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. That's why we're crucified with Christ. And it's not we who live, but Christ who lives in us. And he died for all that those who live should no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. So see, we're compelled by the love of Christ to touch other people to share with other people, to reach out to other people. And I tell you what, it's all worth it. It really is. Stand with me tonight. God, we are humbled before you because you are an awesome and mighty God. And that's what we sang about, what a mighty God we serve. You are an awesome God. You care. You love people. And we should love people. And God, like those two people, African Americans that were outside the, the Winn-Dixie that time, and they said they were hungry. And I said, well, come over to Checkers, the burger place. And, and I bought them a burger. And I said, well, what's going on? They said, well, we've been diagnosed with AIDS. And nobody wants to have anything to do with us. His relatives invite us down. They don't even want us to sit on the toilet in their house. So they kicked us out, and we live under the bridge now. I said, well, you know God loves you no matter what. And they said, because I asked them, I said, can I sit here with you? And they said, you want to sit with us? That's when they told me about the AIDS. Well, God bless you to have a care and a concern for others like those two people. They didn't know the love of God until I sat down with them and bought them a hamburger. And then they knew God's love. Somebody cares about us. Anyway, God love you. God bless you. Reach out to somebody this week and share with them the love of Jesus. Amen? Yes! Hallelujah.